Good morning. As you can tell, I'm not Pastor Wes. For those of you who don't know, my name's Ricardo. I'm one of the elders here. Just want to say welcome to Faith Baba Fellowship Church on this wet and rainy Sunday, this Memorial Day weekend. Pray that it has been a blessing and will continue to be a blessing. Before we get started, I want to first thank everyone who helped make last week such a special day in the life of our church, where we were able to baptize two new people and welcome 15 members and their family into membership here. And it was such a blessing. It was really a truly special day in the life of our church. So if you helped, if you volunteered, whether that was through singing through songs, whether that was through doing PowerPoint or the sound back there, or if you helped with children's church, or if you helped with the meal afterwards and getting it prepared and cleaning up after, really thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making that day such a special day in the life of our church. Some of you guys may be wondering what we're going to be looking at today because Wes isn't here, and as he said, next week we're going to start our study in the book of Habakkuk. But this week we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, we have Bibles in the seats in front of you if you don't have a Bible. That is our gift to you if you don't have a Bible at home or if you forgot one, you feel free to use it. We are on page 942 there. Who likes a good deal? When we go shopping, who likes to find a good deal? Whether it's the BOGOs, the buy one, get ones, or, or we go, we look for those, those packets, those, those benefits that we can get, whether it's when you're looking for a phone company for a cell phone service and you see all the benefits that come with it, whether it's unlimited service, whether it's you get Netflix for free or Hulu for free, or if you go buying a new car, you, you look for the deals, all the benefits that comes into it. We all like those good benefits. That's what we go shopping for. And what we'll see in today's passage is that Paul kind of breaks down the benefits that comes for the Christians through being justified by our faith in Christ. We have benefits that come from that. We're going to kind of work through our way through the first five verses in, in chapter five here in Romans and seeing what those benefits are. So if you can turn to Romans chapter five and we'll read the first five verses here together. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning and we ask that you meet us where we're at, Father, that you bless this time that we have together, Lord. That we're able to recognize that, that, ju- that the mere fact that we're able to get away from the elements, come inside, sit in seats, worship you, praise you, and, sa- and say prayers to you, Father, is a blessing in of itself. There's people around this world that all- don't have that benefit, Father, and so we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that you bless our time together, maybe edifying, maybe convicting, maybe a time where we, are- we grow in our faith, Father. Use me, Father. Use me. Allow me to be the mouthpiece for you, Father. May the words that I say today, Lord, be a reflection of your love for your people, for your children, Father. Meet us where we're at, Father. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. In your Son's mighty and powerful name we pray. Amen. As I said, we'll be in Romans chapter 5. And we see it starts off with therefore. Usually when you see that in the scriptures, therefore, they're trying to say this, what I'm about to say reflects what we just finished talking about. So if you were to go back to Romans chapter 4, you'll see that Paul really fleshes out this idea of what it means to be justified by faith and showing us that it really was since Abraham. that Abraham himself was justified by faith and he spends most of chapter 4 breaking that threat, that down for us. And he says, therefore, because of that, because we have been justified by faith, we have these things. But first, what does it mean to be justified by faith? I don't want to go move forward and not really break that down briefly. We understand that justification is an act of God. It's a legal declaration by which the believers, those who put their trust in Christ... Their sins have been pardoned, their sins have been forgiven, and they now can stand before a perfect and holy and righteous God and be declared righteous. That's what it means to be justified by faith. And it's by faith because it's not on our own works. Therefore, we don't have anything to boast about. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And so we've been declared righteous, not because we did anything, but because Jesus came through the virgin birth, lived the sinless life, performed miracles, did all that was needed, died on the cross, and then rose again in bodily form on the third day. And that is why we can stand here and be declared righteous. Because Jesus satisfied the justice of the Father. He propitiated the wrath of God. And for that very fact, we can stand here and be declared righteous. If you've worked through our membership class or the interviews, you would have probably came up with this word double imputation. Probably remember hearing that. And the fact that what happens is that Christ, with his work, is being imputed onto us. It's being put on us. And our sins, our wretchedness, is being put on Christ. And in return, his righteousness gets put on, puts on us. And that is why we can be declared righteous and be justified by the faith, by trusting in the work of Christ. And so Paul goes on here in these first couple of verses, and he goes, what are the benefits that we get from this, from being justified by faith? And I have three points for you guys today, and then we will be done. The first being that justification by faith leads to peace with God. Justification by faith leads to peace with God. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the peace of God. This is peace with God. There is a difference here. As Steve Lawson notes, the peace of God is more subjective. It's a feeling. While the peace of God, while having peace with God is objective. The peace of God is something that we experience on a day-to-day basis. As John Gill writes, it is a tranquility and a serenity of the mind. It's the calmness that the believer feels in the midst of their hardship, in the midst of their trials. That's the peace of God. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 
Chapter 4, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right before that, he says, don't be anxious, don't be worried about anything, but pray about everything, because we have the peace of God. And while that's a great thing, you understand that the peace of God flows from having peace with God. And both are great things, but that's not, the peace of God is not what Paul is talking about here. He says that we have peace with God. God. The peace with God is objective. It's not a feeling. It talks to our status before God, that we can be, have peace with a holy and perfect and righteous God, despite who we are to our core. John Murray writes that the peace with God denotes relationship to God. It is not the composure and tranquility of our minds and hearts. It is a status of peace flowing from the reconciliation that we have with God. So that's what it means to have peace with God. To understand just the magnitude of what that means, of how good, how great that means that we have peace with God. We have to understand that at one point, we weren't at peace with God. At one point, we were, as the Bible says, enemies with God. We looked at Romans chapter, uh, verse 10 here, just down. If, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, while we were enemies... That's us, Paul saying everyone, myself included, the church included. At one point, you were enemies with God. You were at war with God, and God was at war with you because of the sin that we commit on a daily basis. But now we have peace with God. At one point, God viewed us no different than he views the ungodly, near righteous person that we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Right? We were at one point alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, as Paul says in Colossians 1.21. But now we have peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God, but he looks at us and he calls us his children. We have peace with a holy and righteous God. And it's not that we did anything, because Paul goes on at the end of verse 1. It says, it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that in of itself can be a sermon in itself. Because we understand that magnitude when Paul says, the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have middle names. I know I did growing up. And I know when my mom said, Ricardo Mauricio Vargas Benaki, I knew I was in trouble. I knew my mom was serious and I had to get moving. Most of the time I ran outside. But the Paul here says we are saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord talking about his kingship, talking about the sovereignty that Christ has. Jesus being what some say his saving name. It literally means Jehovah saves and Christ meaning the anointed one. That's his messianic name. The Old Testament that would be translated as Messiah. So there's power in the fact that Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we get peace with God. It's not that we did anything. It's not that we've earned it. As Sproul writes, we did not surrender and sue for peace, but God conquered us. It's not like we were at battle with a holy and righteous God, and then we came to a draw, and now we come to the table and say, let's, let's have some peace talks. No, we were conquered by God. And because of that, because God initiated it, we now have peace with God. That gives us a peace of mind that we can stand before him and be justified, and be declared righteous, and have peace with him. Second one, the second benefit is that justification by faith gives us access to God. 
Look at verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have this now privileged access before God. That we can approach God and not be rejected, but in terms be received by God. That we can come into his presence and we can worship in his presence and we can pray to him and we can have communion. We can have fellowship. We can have community with the Father. That is what we have through being justified by faith, that we have access to God. This type of access was this is something that the Old Testament Jewish people could not begin to fathom. If we understand the temple system of the Old Testament and where God stood in the holies of holies behind the veil, that was where God stood. That's the presence of God. And the way the temple was set up is you had the outer court or the outer um, courtyard. That's where everyone gathered. Jews and Gentiles together gathered here. And then there was a wall. And beyond this wall, only Jewish people can move forward. The Gentiles had to stay back. And then there was another separation. And from this separation, only the Jewish men were allowed to move forward. All the Jewish women had to stay behind. There was another separation. Then the priest moved forward, and the rest of the Jewish men stayed behind. And that led them to the curtain, to the veil, where behind there was the holies of holies, where God was present at. And that's where you had the Ark of the Covenant. You had Aaron's rod there. And that's where God was. And only one person could go there. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement, that was the high priest. And that was what they had to do in order to come and make atonement for their sins. That's all the hurdles that they had. But now we see here the Paul says we have obtained access by faith. That we can come before him, before God and be declared righteous and have this privileged access to him. And it's through him, don't miss that, it's through him, through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have obtained this access. So one commentator writes that, that Jesus removes every barrier between God and his people, that he brings them together. And we are therefore stand before a perfect and holy and righteous God because of the work of our mediator in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. It's literally standing before, and he's bringing God and us together. We can stand in the presence of God, and we can do this with confidence. We can come to the presence of God with boldness, as Paul says in Ephesians three twelve. We can bring our prayers straight to God. We no longer need a priest to say kind of the way the Jewish people did. We can praise before God his presence. We can have communion, as I said. We have access. This is privileged access to God. And we, Paul says, and we stand in, 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 the, in the grace in which we stand. The fact that we can stand before God, that speaks volumes too. Because before, no one stood before God. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at Psalms 133, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand before you? Malachi 3.2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? So they understood that no one stood before God. But Paul says now that we are, have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This fact that we can stand, it speaks to the permanence that we have. 
It speaks to our position before God. It speaks to the security that we have before God, the fact that we can be in his presence and stand before a holy and righteous God that speaks volumes to the work of what Christ has done. So there's significance in the fact that we can stand before and have this privileged access to God. So if someone was to take my laptop, it wouldn't do them any good unless they have the passcode, the password. But we have that password or we can come before God and have this access. It's as if you're going to a game, a sporting event or a concert and you needed that ticket to get into the venue. Well, we have that in Jesus Christ. In his work, we now have access to God. That is one of the great, one of the great benefits of being justified by our faith. Number three is justification by faith gives us hope. That we hope in God. And this is real hope. This isn't the hope that we, so to, we speak of today. That it's so common in our English language where we say, I hope it doesn't rain, rain today. Or I hope that, that, that my team wins today. Or, or, or you may say, I hope that the Eagles win more than four games this year. Usually when we use that language, we don't expect it to happen. But this isn't the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is not wishy-washy hope. It's not this wishful thinking. When the Bible speaks of hope, it's different than the world's hope. Paul says this hope is something that we rejoice in. We rejoice in hope. We boast in the hope that we have, as the NIV would would translate it there, or, or we exult in the hope that we have, in the glory of God. Understand this, when Scripture speaks of hope, it speaks of something that that is a certainty, that is something that is going to happen, that it, it is a sure thing. The hope that the Bible offers it's stability, it's assurance. Oftentimes throughout the scriptures when they talk about hope, it, it speaks of hope as the anchor of the soul as we see in Hebrews 6 verse 19. This hope that Paul's talking about, it comes from knowing God and knowing God's word and believing in God's word that God will do what he claims he will do. That everything that he speaks of in his word will come to be. We can hope in that. We can be assured of that. We can have stability in that. We understand that there is more to come. That this isn't the end of it. That there is something that we're looking forward to. And that's what it means by, by hope in the glory of God. That there's more to come. That we will one day be able to stand in God's presence as glorified creatures. The word glory here is the same word that we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, where he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's that same word that we see here in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, for glory. And we hope of the glory of God that we will one day be in the heaven, standing before God, praising him. That's what we got to look forward to, that we will be with him. When our time comes to an end here, we can stand in glory and be glorified with Christ. Notice this hope 
that Paul talks about. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we view things. It changes the way we view this world today. Paul goes on in verse 3, because of this hope, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope that we have, it changes everything. It changes the way we view suffering. He says we rejoice in suffering, whereas the NASB says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character, hope. What does it mean to exalt, to rejoice? It means to celebrate our, in our sufferings, to have extreme joy in the midst of our sufferings. That's what Paul is saying here. That's because of the hope that we have, that we can look forward and understand that God is still at work in our sufferings. No matter what we're going through, God is at work and, and he has a purpose for it. And so we can rejoice, we can celebrate, we can, we can have extreme joy because we know, as it says in Romans 8, 28, that God will work it out for good for those whom he called according to his purpose. We understand that we serve a God who is a God of purpose, that he has meaning for everything. So everything that we experience, everything that we go through, it's for a reason, Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God has a purpose for everything. And so when we suffer, when we're going through trials, when we're going through tribulations, we can look to the glory of God that we will have, and we can rejoice because we understand that there is still more to come. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way, Christians rejoice in suffering because of what they know about it. That God uses our troubles. He uses our trials, our tribulations to form Christian character. And so we can rejoice. We can celebrate in sufferings because we know that God is at work. The world can somewhat understand this, that, that through hard times, through trials, we, we grow in those times, right? The world has some, some sayings, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger or or the old adage no pain no gain they somewhat understand that in order to grow in order to become stronger whatever whatever it may be you have to go through some sufferings you got to go through some hard times that's what paul is saying here and we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that it produces endurance and endurance produces character it puts muscles on our souls the soul, the suffering is the, the soul's workout plan, as, as R.C. Sproul puts it. Character is forged in the crucible of pain, of pain. It puts muscles on our souls. To have character means that, that we have been tested and that we've passed, that we have been pressured and that we've gone through some hardships, but we've come out on the other end better, stronger, more solid in our faith. We understand that, that nothing beautiful that gets made in our world isn't, isn't done with some hard times, with some pressure, when you think of jewelry. So we rejoice, we celebrate in our sufferings because we know that it produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character gives us hope. And hope does not put us to shame because we know that God will come through. 
that in the midst of what we're going through, God has a purpose for our suffering, that we are to grow in it, grow in our understanding of who God is, grow in, 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 who, in, in our studying of him, grow in our relationships to one another. It's only through suffering that we can really start to grow. And Paul goes on. And really, I went back and forth because these can be two other benefits, but I kind of lumped them in with hope. And he says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Understand that this love that Paul is talking about, it's God's love for us, not our love for him. That's the, part, that's the love that's being poured into our hearts. That's what we're overflowing with God's love. Right? It, this is agape love. When you look at it in the Greek, right? that self-given, that sacrificial love that seeks the good of the one who's being loved, that's the type of love that's being poured into our hearts. The image here is, if I were to take my son's little cups that they use in their kitchen when they're playing, those two-ounce little cups. And I was to take those five-gallon jug of water, and I was to just pour it into the cup. And not stop, but just let it overflow. And you just see water getting everywhere. That's what's going on here. When Paul says, and his love has been poured into our hearts, that we're overflowing with God's love for his children. And that's why we can have hope, because we understand God's love. And we persevere and we endure because we have, God's love is being poured into our hearts. It's the gospel. It's that he sent his son to die for you in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your sin. God sent his son. He sees it all and still sends his son to die for you. That's the type of love that's happening here. That's what's being poured into our hearts. And it says that we also have been given the Holy Spirit. God literally gives us of himself. That's God's love for us. That he, he doesn't just leave us to our own good, to our own being, but he gives us the Holy Spirit as a helper. We understand that through the Holy Spirit, that is how we are being sanctified. That is how we continue to grow in our relationship with God. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 through 8, 17 through 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God gives us what we need to grow, to be sanctified, to continue to grow into the children of God that we're called. That is the Holy Spirit. That's what he's given us. That is one of these benefits, if you may, from being justified by faith. We were regenerated. We were renewed by the Holy Spirit, as it says in Titus 3. This idea that Paul, that God gives us the Holy Spirit. It seals us, as it says in Ephesians 1, verse 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you've been given the Holy Spirit as, as a seal 
something that helps you along in the walk as you continue to grow, as you go through sufferings and you endure, and then you grow in your character. That is because of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. We can stand with confidence because of God's love for us and giving us of himself. That is the benefits of justification by faith. That we have peace with God. That we have access to God and we have hope in God. We are to take that and remember that and ruminate on that and think about that constantly. Because when life gets hard, that's what we need to remember. In closing... I want to address the people either here or watching online who who don't know, who who haven't put their trust in Christ. Everything that I talked about today does not apply to the non-believer. The non-believer does not have peace with God. The non-believer cannot stand before God because they are living in their sin. They are living in their filth. The non-believer is an enemy of God. And understand this, you are at war with God and God is at war with you, as I said earlier. The Old Testament often describes God's arrow being bent, his bow being bent and aimed at his enemies. That's the imagery. If you have not put your trust in Christ, if you're still living in your sin, understand that that's repulsive to God and that you are an enemy of God. And you were to go back to Romans chapter 1 and see God's wrath towards an unrighteous, sinful people. That is how God sees the unbeliever. You may say, well, I'm a good person. I give money. I give him my time. I'm better than my neighbor. I've never cheated on my spouse. We all know what the scripture says. There is none who does good, not even one. That's Psalms 14.3. And we know that, that all have sinned. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in your current state, unbeliever, you are an enemy of God. But at the same time, this benefit these, these peace that you can have with God, that is available to you. You can be at peace with God today if you, put, if you repent of your sins and put your trust in the works of Christ. You can today stand and be at peace with God. So if you haven't had that, if you're not sure if that's you, talk to us, talk to me, talk to Wes, talk to Alex. We would love to open up the scriptures with you and, tell, and, and work that out with you, what it means to put your trust in the work of Christ. So please, don't let another day go by where, where you have not done that. You have not had that conversation. So if that's you, reach out. Pull us aside. Call us, text us, email us, whatever it may be. We would love to have that conversation with you, what it means to be at peace with God. For the, for the believers in here, for those who are walking with Christ, my question to you, when you are in the midst of suffering, when you are in the midst of tribulations, where is your hope found? What are you turning to? Are you turning to God or are you turning to your old ways? Do you look at God and be like, how can he love me? How, how, why is this happening to me? I don't understand what's going on. God must not love me. Are you doubting these benefits that we talked about today, that you have peace with God, that you can stand and have access, privileged access to God? 
Or are you choosing to follow your emotions? Or are you choosing to follow the word of God? My advice to you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, when life is difficult, that is when you should be in your scriptures even more, leaning on the promises of God. That is when you pull together people from the church, the local body, to be praying for you. That is when you are supposed to be preaching the gospel to yourself. When life is difficult and we want to give up, we remind ourselves of the work of Christ on the cross and we preach that to ourselves and we allow that to be preached to us. We come to those who we do life with and we let them know we're having a rough day. Things is difficult. Can you pray for me? Help me. Remind me of the gospel. That is the purpose of the church. That is why we are here together and we are in membership together, that we can love one another and lift one another up in prayer and point one another back to the scriptures. What are you leaning on in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of tribulations? Where is your hope found? Is it in you or is it in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to die on our behalf, Father. That the only reason we can sit here today, sing songs to you, Father, listen to your word preached, and because of your son coming and dying on the cross on behalf of the elect, Father, we thank you for that, Lord. We understand that without that, we couldn't be here. We wouldn't be here, Father. As we go about the rest of this weekend, as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, help or remind us of the promises that we have in your Son, Father. May that be in our minds in the middle of, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of suffering. May we be reminded of what your word says, Father. This Lord's Day, Lord, as we go home, keep us safe. And on the roads, Father, but may we just take time today to pray to you, to be in your word more than we are throughout the rest of the week, Lord, because this is your day, Father. May we be convicted of that, Father. Be with us. Help us, Father. Guide us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King. And the people said? Amen. 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 Please stand.